It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to Iron Women. I'm Sarah Gross, and I am back for another awesome show with Alyssa Gadeski. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Sarah. How's it going today? It's pretty good. We The rain came down and washed away the one inch of snow we got here in Virginia, so things are awesome. Things are looking up, and we have an amazing show. We will be joined shortly by Ruth brennan um, who Alyssa, tell us a little bit about Ruth. Sure. So Ruth is pretty great. She is a 41-year-old mother of three. She has her PhD in counseling psychology. Um, Ruth used to play Division One and semi-pro soccer. She is also an Olympic trials marathon runner. And it was in 2011, actually, that uh, she raced her first triathlon as an amateur. And she raced as an amateur for two seasons before coming into the professional ranks. So uh, most recently, I believe, was 2016 Ironman Arizona, and Ruth was fourth. So pretty awesome job, and she definitely does it all. We're excited to chat with her here shortly. Yeah, what an amazing resume. So, Ruth. It well, is. It yeah. is. It is. Ruth, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, hi, Sarah. Hi, Alyssa. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, Alyssa, I understand that you and Ruth raced against each other as amateurs. Tell us about that. What, when was that? <laughs> We totally did. Um, 2012, the Rev3 Wisconsin race, which is actually one of my favorite races I've ever done. Um, Ruth was the first amateur and I was the second amateur. And I won't tell the listeners exactly how much Ruth beat me by, but let's just say it was it was sizable. It probably gave her the confidence to go uh, pro from there. <laughs> Not exactly, but I do remember talking to you, and it was, yeah, I, I remember the, the moment exactly. Um, that was a great race. It was just full of steep climbs, Wisconsin climbs, and uh, just a great atmosphere.
and let her ask her question directly. Yes, and so Bridget is um, 42. She's a nurse. She's a mom of twin high school boys, and she has been getting ready this season. She's gearing up for Ironman Chattanooga coming in September. So um, lots of experience she has as well, but I know she has a good question for Ruth. Hi, Bridget. It's Alyssa and Sarah. And we have Ruth here on the line as well. And I just introduced you as the fabulous nurse and mom and Ironman Chattanooga in training that you are. Um, Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we are excited to have you join our show today. And we are ready for your question. Oh, good. Okay. So my question is, as a fellow mom... I am very intrigued to know more about your diet. Like if you follow a strict diet and if your kids eat the same diet or how do you feed them? Because I myself have teenagers and I find it hard to get myself to race weight while still feeding them enough. (laughs) Um, Bridget, that is a great question. Ironman Chattanooga was my first race. So uh, I can just imagine you there on the course um, in September. So great question. Um, the really boring answer is that I do not follow any strict diet. Um, I have an 11 year old boy, a nine year old girl and a six year old boy. And so in my, their feeding demands are a little different than, than your teenagers probably. Um, but I think, I think, um, the key in our household has just been to not restrict various types of food. Um, but Uh but to just try to eat as healthy as possible. Um, you know, there are, we try to eat a lot of, um, uh, lean meat and, uh, a lot of the kids love steak. I love steak. I love salads. Um, I love bread. Um, I'll pretty much uh-huh. eat anything that's put in front of me, but I don't follow a strict diet. Um, and I think that's kind of important for my kids to see that, that performing well means just having a good, well-rounded diet instead of having to restrict things out or even restricting sugar. Um, I try, you know, I try not to go overboard with it, but but they, I definitely, you know, make brownies with the kids and, you know, eat the batter alongside of them. So, you know, I, I don't go crazy. I think that would drive me crazy to, to be that, um, kind of restrictive and, and especially just trying to promote health more than anything for the kids. Right. Oh, thank you. That's actually very helpful to hear and see that you can kind of balance it all because it's hard. (laughs) It is definitely hard. And that said, you know, we want to be as healthy as possible, but we do have a lot of breakfast dinners. We do have corn dogs. You know, we do have, I don't have the corn dogs, but the kids, you know, so I, I don't, I try to, you know, just be real with them at the same time. And, um, you know, if we have a huge time crunch, then then uh, it's not a huge deal to just go the breakfast dinner route. <laughs> so, so do you find yourself doing meal prep ahead of time as well or more like uh, my breakfast house, dinner? Because we have well, a lot of breakfast dinners too. <laughs> you know, anytime a person says, oh, it's super easy, just put it in the crock pot, that brings me extreme anxiety just thinking about a crock pot. <laughs> because I'm a planner. I cannot plan a meal seven hours in advance. Um, you know, I'm kind of like... Uh, I try to, I'm not too picky with my meals. Um, I can just, you know, put a, put chicken in the oven and, you know, if it's ready in 45 minutes, then I'll, I'll be fine. But I, um, I don't do a lot of meal planning. 
Um, but we always, always have healthy food, you know, in the house available, available. So, yeah. Right. Well, thank yeah. you. Very helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. And my kids probably don't eat as much as, as, uh, your teenagers. So that might be a different they, story. They just go through phases where some nights they just want a bowl of cereal and yep. I'm like, okay, let's have some fruit to that. And then other nights they, you know, they eat dinner when I eat and then they want a hamburger when my husband gets home and. I, I just, I can't even figure it out. I think it's like their mood swings for whether or not they're going to eat a ton or not eat, but it's kind of crazy. <laughs> that is understandable. But I'll, you know, I am mindful that, um, my, my food is my fuel and that, um, that it's super important that, you know, I don't eat their, even if I'm starving, you don't eat their last bit of corn dog <laughs> or right <laughs> have garbage. And that's, that's very, very hard. My husband, you know, if he listens to this podcast, he'll kill me, but you know, he, he might, you know, indulge himself more than, um, more than I would with just, I don't know. I kind of just feel like it's part of my, part of my training and, and part of my plan to stay, stay disciplined. Um, but just be balanced at the same time. Do you find you let yourself have more treats if you've accomplished something like say a harder workout or a longer workout, or do you find you know, you don't um, use food as rewards for yourself. I really, I don't try to use food as reward. I just, I just try to um, be as, I don't know. I just try to be as helpful as possible. I probably have sweets every day. I have chocolate for sure every day. Um, dumb really? chocolate <laughs> my favorite. You know, I won't have 10 of them, but I might have two of them <laughs> or three or maybe. Right. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I just... Um, I'll go out, out and have some ice cream with the kids. And, um, I think just mentally it's good to, to just be, um, know that you have nutritional needs, but also you have, you know, you're also living life at the same time. And that's, right. super, that's super important to be able to just, you know, not be too restrictive, I guess. Yeah, I think that's makes a lot of sense. Sounds very healthy too. But let so, me just tell you that after a long ride or a long brick, um, I come home and probably inhale at least a thousand calories within the first you know, 20 minutes. It's, um, really? I, I, you know, the hanger creeps up and, uh, and, um, you know, just try to re- replenish as, as well as I can. Um, and are you eating then whatever you can find or do you kind of have a certain recovery thing that you'll try you to know, stick with? I, I think that a lot of pro triathletes are kind of intimidating with their recovery plans. Um, they're very, you know, strategic with exactly how many carbs, how much protein goes into your body. I try to keep mm-hmm. it balanced, but I don't have a recovery shake or don't have some special potion um, to try to fill me up. I just try to eat real foods. Like I'm uh, blessed that my one of my big sponsors is Ali's Bar, which use mm-hmm. non uh, food is just real food, just compacted in, into a delicious little bar. Um, but, uh, so that's really helpful. Um, and tr- you know, just try my best to have, um, the right, the right protein after a strength, um, session and the right recovery foods afterwards. But again, I'm not super restrictive. Okay. That's very good to know. I think it's hard when you look at other triathletes and see what everyone else is doing and you want to know, like, are you doing the right thing? So 
Yeah, oh, very I, helpful. Thank you. <laughs> so many, you know, there's as many different nutrition plans as there are athletes in the world. Um, and I think just finding that right balance for you, something that uh, is just really important, something that you feel good about, whatever weight that you're, uh, um, that you have in the off season and what your race ideal race weight is. Mine doesn't fluctuate from winter to race season. Um, and, but, uh, I think it's just important that you kind of just, um, keep, keep awareness of, you know, the foods going in and how that's fueling your, your, uh, next session. Right. Thank you. That's well, very that, helpful. Some great advice there. Bridget, thank you so much for uh, being willing thank you. to have us call you today and for your fabulous question for Ruth. So, um, Sure. Yeah, Anytime. I love your podcast. So. Yay. Well, good luck with your season right. and in Chattanooga, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, thanks, thanks, Bridget. Bye. Bye. Okay. You know, we had a lot of questions, Ruth, from our viewers about those types of things to do with uh, nutrition and balance. Um, Angelina actually wanted to know how you do it all. Um, how, if you had to pick three things that helped you kind of achieve balance in your life, what would those things be? Um, I think number one would have to be my support crew. Um, and that's my family and my coach. Uh, there's just no way that I could, that I could do the things that I do without them and their support. Um, I know that, that, you know, the, the sport of triathlon is, is difficult for, for a lot of families because of the time demands that it takes. And, uh, I'm, I'm really lucky that, um, I, I'm kind of really lucky that my career started later so that now, I am, my kids, all three kids are in school from nine to three thirty, So that's, that's my time, um, to get my work done. And, you know, I do see it as my job and I, and I, um, treat it as, as my job and I have to be as efficient as possible, um, within those, <clears throat> within that time frame. Uh, <clears throat> I also get up, you know, early in the morning. So my first session is completed before they even get up out of bed. Um, that's kind of the, the ideal, let's see. Um, with yeah. Ruth, with your kids, you know, and your family, um, especially like your kids being a little bit older, do you, have you ever, or do you incorporate them into your training at all? Um, or, you know, have you tried and it doesn't work is, or is it just something you do kind of while they're at school and then when they're home, you know, your mom again? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And it sounds really appealing, you know, to go and, oh, the kids are running beside you or biking beside you and, or they're at, you know, they're at the pool at the same time. And, you know, but I've quickly learned that that just doesn't work with our family. Um, even when I'm at home on the trainer, uh, I want to make sure that I'm home alone on the trainer. Um, so they are not coming in and out and having me get off the trainer just as many times, you know, for most, just, uh, and it kind of bothering me. So <laughs> I need to be able to, to focus a hundred percent, even if just, it's an easy ride or an easy run. And that's also just my time to unwind and not be a mom for a while. So I think that, um, I used to do more of it when they were little, uh, because I really didn't have a choice. I would go and, you know, put my, you know, two-year-old in, in the um, baby jogger and go for a run, but it just wasn't as pleasant. And I really didn't see that as 
training. I saw that as, you know, family time. Um, but I think that it does work well for some people. And, uh, and that's really important to just do what's best for whatever family situation that you have. And, um, right now for me, my, my situation's working well, my nine to three thirty job. So and it sounds like you have a bit of a routine where you get up and maybe knock out a short session in the morning really early. Then you might have a bit of a break being mom. And then another session or two in the 9 to 3 window. Is that, is that how you That's, manage it? Yeah. yeah. And depending on, depend, depending on the schedule, if I think that I can get everything in between 9 to 3.30 with enough recovery time um, in there as well. I'm not, you know, just running from 9 to 3.30. Um, but... Um, I need that includes the recovery time. It re- includes eating, and um, uh, then I will sleep in if I need more sleep. Um, that's like number one before training is just making sure that I'm getting enough sleep. So, and speaking of recovery, Ruth, we did get a lot of questions from listeners on aging and you know being such a good athlete after 40 and all of that good stuff I know I experienced plenty of changes after 30 so um can you maybe speak a little bit about that and you know how has that recovery piece changed for you in this time it's a great question and I and I keep asking myself or keep keep you know wondering to myself just how much of my recovery needs have to do with my age and how much have to do with just my regular physiology. Um, when I was 23 and, you know, I ran marathon, that was kind of my marathon, uh, running time. I was toast for a good five weeks after a marathon. And that's about the same amount of time that I need to recover from an Ironman now. Um, you know, almost double, double that, uh, time span. So, I don't, I think that I'm just, I recover slowly anyway. Um, but from day to day, I, I do notice that I need more kind of muscle self care time <clears throat> in order to, in order to run as well, in order to bike and swim as well. Um, I need flexibility. I need, um, I need to, uh, you know, have a lot more mobility sessions during the week and thankfully, my my coach now he um, kind of introduced me to the to the joy of mobility. At first, I hated it, and I thought that it was a waste of time. And you know, why am I you know doing all these all of these movements when um, when I could be you know swimming and biking and running? But I realized that in order to do those things at age forty one, I need to be able to um, to loosen up my joints. I need to be able to foam roll twenty minutes a day. Uh, and, and that just, and I, and I'm super thankful for it because that just prepares me. And, and I know what that feeling is when I do on the treadmill. And I know that feeling when I don't do it on the treadmill, um, feels like everything just fires on all cylinders when, um, my hips are all lubed up and I'm, and I'm ready to, ready to run fast. Do you think that your age can be an advantage in some ways? Um, in terms of the psychological side, like we know you're a sports psych, you have a lot of experience there, but do you see it in yourself that maybe the ex- your personal life experience informs your training in racing? You know, it's really interesting um, 
when I was 35, I never thought about my age when I started this sport. I thought, oh, I have I have many, many years ahead of me when I was only 35. Um, at age 41, I feel a little more rushed in this process. My heart is so firmly into it. My my mind is so firmly into it. I know I can improve so much more, um, and I have a lot more fight in me. Um, but what I think about is, you know, I think about that I might have three years to live. You know, I think I've been competing since I was, you know, six years old on the soccer fields and now I'm 41 and I still, I would like to go until I'm 71. Um, but I think to myself, I have, I could have, you know, three or to five years to live, you know, and that's not saying that my joy of, of, you know, exercising is going to be over my joy of happiness in life. But it's just at this level, this is cherished uh, ground. Um, this, and I think that uh, I am super thankful that I'm at this point in my life where I can just really feel like I can embrace it each day and and not take any, anything for granted because, you know, who knows if I'll have a next season or who knows. I just feel like this is, this is my time. Um, and, and, uh, and it's super exciting for me, but I also feel this rush. Like there's so much more to learn. There's so much more to grow in, in, um, these disciplines that, uh, that I, I'm trying to embrace it, but also try to be as, as patient as possible at the same time. And Ruth specifically transitioning, you know, from that age group race to that pro race, um, were there mentors that you, you know, looked to, or, you know, did you feel that it was different for you being a little bit older than other people may be doing that transition? How did that go specifically? Um, you know, when I decided, when I decided to, um, become a pro, I really did think, you know, it's now or never. Um, I can't, I don't have 10 years of development in me. Um, and so I did feel kind of the more of a rushed decision, but I feel like, uh, from a performance perspective, I was still within the top, you know, seven, eight, uh, as an amateur within the, within the pro times. So I thought I could, you know, hang with, hang with the pros and, and do well. So I made that, I made that decision pretty quickly after the two years of, um, age group racing. And I think a, um, um, a really big confidence booster was winning the world championships as an amateur at the overall, um, uh, at ITU race long, long course in 2011. That was my first, my, my first season. Um, but yeah, I think I also, I remember specifically when I was over in France, 70.3, my family was over in Oxford with my husband's, uh, fellowship and so I was able to race in Europe and I came across, uh, Mary Beth Ellis at France, um, uh, province 70.3. And I asked her, it was kind of that race where she, I think I would, I would have come in sixth pro, um, but first overall amateur. And I asked her what her, um, decision-making process was when she was going from an amateur to a professional and, um, and her answer just really kind of struck me as, yeah, I think it's my time too. Um, so she was very pivotal 
around that time. She was just a really good role model. Um, now very missed in the sport already. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, I think that that's kind of the process of the first few years. Yeah. Do you and think I'll, a question, do you think that your age has made a difference in attracting sponsors? Do you feel that you, I mean, you, you're a 70.3 winner. Um, has it been hard to attract sponsors as an older athlete? I think so. I have a bit of a backstory with, um, with my decision and sponsors that, uh, when I was distance running, I'll just tell you the, the short of it. When I was distance running, you know, I didn't have any sponsors. I was just the soccer player turned distance runner and Olympic trials runner. And I lost love of the sport of distance running. I can't even like put that in my mind because I can't even, I mean, it's just so foreign to me now because I love it so much, but I lost passion for the sport. And when I went back to, after a 10 year gap in my competitive kind of career, after not having done a 5k race, kind of giving up distance running 10 year gap. And I said, I'm going to only come back to competitive racing if my head is in it for the right reasons, if I am making the right decision. And I think that I was, um, reluctant to at age 37. Then when I turned pro to seek major sponsors, um, I was reluctant because, um, I didn't want, I didn't want, you know, a contract dictating what races that I could do. Um, I didn't want them to impact my enjoyment of the sport. I loved it so much. And I, you know, I, I thought that, um, that doing it for the right reasons was more important than getting financial support. Um, and so what's also important to me, I think just as a person, maybe a psychologist too, is the, um, the relationship piece. I think it's, um, I have a lot of joy in, um, in, uh, um, maintaining really close ties to local sponsors. And so I have, uh, a great, um, uh, crew of local sponsors that really may meet all of the needs that I have. Um, I have, you know, I could, name them all off, but all my body stuff, my shoe stuff, my bike stuff is all, you know, all of my things are taken, taken care of. But the most important thing is that I've developed a great relationship with these local sponsors and that I can give back to them just as much as they give to me. Um, and it's a, it's a real genuine relationship. And that's something that I highly value in, uh, in this, uh, in this job that I have and, um, something that I just, you know, know that no matter if I have a crappy season or a stellar season, they're going to support my endeavors just as much as, as they would, um, because they know me as a person. So, I mean, personally, that's not, you know, that's not the route that most of the pros take, but that's what I have chosen to do, um, as a result of kind of my, my story in sport. And I think that's really interesting, Ruth, because it is, you know, quite different than I think a lot of people look at sponsors and approaching them to kind of look local first and to maybe look at the places that you're in on a daily basis. And you see, you know, you're walking in and seeing them face to face quite a bit more often than you might a rep of a larger company, right? So do you have any advice for someone kind of struggling in that sponsorship game 
who maybe hasn't approached it on a local level, like what kind was it the places that you really were in, you know, daily basis or, um, you know, how did you go about doing that? Um, they were, there were relationships that I really already, many of them I already had. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had been seeing my physical therapist for three years before I asked them to be my sponsor. And then, um, you know, we already had the great relationship and they continued to, you know, put me in. If I call them at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning on Monday, they get me in at eight. I mean, they just, they work with me because they know they, they want to support this endeavor. And, um, and like my, the shoe store that sponsors me, Terra Loco, they are just incredible in, in getting me the things that I need and also, um, just lifting me up when, um, when an event, you know, comes up and, you know, I, I like to be a part of that and, uh, contribute back to the community. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think that I would just, the advice that I would give is to kind of recognize what you value in your community. What are the resources that you typically use quite a bit? And could there be a reciprocal, um, a mutually beneficial relationship that could be built? Um, not just so that you get stuff, but that you can give stuff. Um, and I think that's, that's just critical, critical to, um, to what, you know, what I, what I value, I guess. I think that's great advice. That's something I've done as well in my own career. One of my most actually valuable sponsors is my Cairo here, here in Victoria. I mean, the amount of that saves, I mean, you know, I, I'm 42, you know, it, it, it saves thousands of dollars, (laughs) you know? Um, Okay. Ruth, one last question before we go, what are your goals for 2017? What races can we find you at? Well, my two top goals are um, Roth in July and 70.3 Worlds. Um, so I will be racing three 70.3s uh, and in hopes of qualifying and then in Chattanooga for Chattanooga. And then also uh, Roth will be a biggie. I cannot wait for that race. I just can't wait. Um, so far... Um, my husband and the three kids are, we're going to go over and, and spend some time over in Germany and, uh, just make it a great day. So yeah, Roth has a bucket list race for sure. So good for you for getting that on the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Ruth, thank you so much again for joining us, for answering all the questions from us and from our listeners. And we've loved having you and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime. Well, thank you so much for having me and great questions. Made me think. You know, Sarah, I think one of the most interesting things I heard was how surprised Bridget was when she heard that Ruth ate chocolate every day. Um, I'm a huge advocate of a little bit of indulgence and a treat now and then or every day if you know you want to, if you get your workouts in and that's what it takes to relax. So I think all too often amateurs give us pros too much credit for being stricter than we are. I know. I have a lot of pro friends who rely heavily on chocolate and wine. Totally. 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 Um, I actually thought her routine was interesting. You know, as a mom myself, I can understand having that kind of routine where you get up early and you get something done before your kids get up, or kid in my case. 
Um, and then you have that time while while your your kids are at school that you can that you have to fit in both your training and your recovery. So that was the interesting piece too, is when you have limited time, you have to really pay attention to your recovery and how you're fitting that into your day as well. So yeah, good insights from Ruth on that. Yeah, and I'm sure she's had days where something's come up and she hasn't gotten that second part of the day accomplished, but at least she got up and got that first piece done, which is also important that we all know. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Um, so I guess that's about it for this uh, episode of Iron Women. A big thank you to Team SFQ, the Smash Fest Queen Ambassador Team, for your input on this episode. For more amazing women's sports coverage and more episodes of Iron Women, go to wispsports.com. And of course, join me, Sarah Gross. And Alyssa Gadeski next time on Iron Women. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.